What is going on, OWS fam, YouTube fam, DFS fam? Welcome to our main slate DFS lab for week 12, 2023. I am JM. I am also JM. Keegan will not be joining me today. I will talk about that in just a moment, but uh, we will be building a lineup for the DraftKings main slate. We'll be doing some doubling up because I also do the Angles podcast where, well, I guess the Angles podcast is building a lineup, but we're talking through all the strategy on the slate. So uh, if you don't typically listen to the Angles podcast, watch the Angles podcast, tune into that on uh, the One Week Season YouTube channel as well. We will talk macro strategy on the slate. Great supplement to the player grid, which is my player pool for subscribers. Uh, kind of get a sense of how we want to attack this slate, a slate that I'm really excited about. Already one of my favorite slates of the season coming off Thanksgiving. I'll talk about that as well. Uh, but then also the Pacific slate has some really nice edges and advantages for us. So with that, let's get started. One week season. All right. So I uh, sent the link for today's show to Keegan and went texting to let him know I sent the link and saw a text from him wild uh his his work he works a, a chef at a as a chef at a restaurant the restaurant caught fire last night uh, he said his boss's mother died in the fire uh, so uh, I have not talked to Keegan yet about that but um yeah so pretty wild stuff on his and I'm sure we'll get an update from him next week um I was going to say, hopefully everything's okay, but everything's not okay, but uh, everything's okay with Keegan. So that's good. Uh, he can't make the show today. So I will be flying solo. We will be uh, talking through this slate a little bit and building a roster real quickly. And, and I'll dive into this much more deeply in the angles podcast, but why I like this, this slate in general, broadly speaking, the Thanksgiving slate uh, or the main slate after Thanksgiving is the content providers, like even on OWS, where we are generally on top things. Uh, the NFL edge is usually, which is our game by game breakdown. It's usually fully on the site by the end of the, the day on Thursday, typically by Thursday night football kickoff. And then it's going to be on the site by the end, end of the day on Friday. And then the scroll, which is all of our content and strategy, all of our, I should say all of our, uh, strategy and, and player pool pieces all in one place in the scroll. And that usually starts populating on Friday and then gets populated throughout the day on Saturday. This week is going to be more like mostly throughout the day on Saturday. And that's sort of the case with every content site. So the consumers who have their typical, you know, approach where they consume the content on whatever site they subscribe to, uh, they're going to be a day behind. The researchers and content providers are typically a day behind because that Thanksgiving slate is the second it's the second most watched day of NFL football behind the Super Bowl each year. So, so it's a big DFS slate. It's basically like getting two main slates in a week. So there are a lot of extra content responsibilities. And, and then on top of that, everybody kind of takes Thursday off uh, to spend the holiday with family and whatnot. So uh, add that to the fact that a lot of people have already put more time into the Thursday DFS slate than they typically put in, which means they put in less time for Sunday than they've typically put in by this point. And there is usually a nice edge. If you can buckle down on Friday, Saturday with your thoughts, really be prepared for the slate in question. So uh, that's sort of macro why this slate tends to be a pretty valuable slate to play and to, if you're able to carve out time to pay close attention to it, make sharp decisions on this slate. And then I'll talk in the Angles podcast uh, a little bit more about why this specific slate is one that sets up really nicely for edges for us. And then obviously in my player grid, we will get to 
my player pool, etc. cetera. Uh, really quickly on that regard, if you're watching this, I know a lot of you watch this and are not OWS members. So just wanted to shout this out real quickly. We do have some Black Friday stuff going on on the site this week. So uh, if you want to bump up your DFS training, this 50% off of all courses for uh, anybody who wants to come and check those out. Uh, also, we've added OWS for life. So we've had a couple people take advantage of that something down this year. But uh, if you want to just have inner circle access for life, you can grab that. Uh, probably what you're more interested in, inner circle, which is usually 229 And at this point, it's usually 137 bucks for the rest of the season. It's only 49 bucks for the rest of the season. So that's last seven weeks of the season plus playoffs. The optimizer, instead of 79, it's 39 the rest of the season. Uh, and then Props Insider, which we're now up to $12,000 in profit on that. That's $5.99 instead of $9.99. Uh, NBA Optimizer also discounted if you play NBA DFS. So uh, if you are, if you've been watching the show on YouTube and you're kind of new to OWS, good opportunity for you to take advantage of that and get ownership projections, get projections, stuff you might not typically have access to, uh, but then also have all of our content, uh, you know, build around strategy and player pools and all that each week. Um, okay, so with that, let's go ahead now to, uh, for any of you who watched the Wednesday show, I was kicked, I, I was permanently, quote, permanently banned from DraftKings. There was something going on with the internet at this Airbnb that we're at that it was causing DraftKings to read my account as trying to mask my location, uh, which I was obviously doing because I'm in a legal DraftKings state. Uh, so, the uh, fortunately kind of weird situation, right? Uh, there was a lot of people on Twitter who said this happened to them and it took them six months to get resolved. So um, kind of a weird situation that, you know, as I run a, a content site and have been playing for a long time and um, have something of a relationship with, with the DraftKings CEO, I was able to get this resolved within one day. So um, shout out to DraftKings for helping me out. Um, and then I guess, you know, also note that, uh, Probably not a great thing that I was able to get this resolved right away when it takes other people so long, but uh, glad I was able to back up and running. That said, I cannot uh, log into DraftKings on my computer because I would be using this internet. So what I have is a dummy DraftKings account. Just wanted to explain all of that. If anyone was wondering why this says uh, play for first up at the top, there, there's zero dollars on here. Uh, I am not putting money on here or playing on this account, but uh, have to have a dummy account set up in order to build a lineup for this show. So here I am, play for first, got the OWS pennant up there, uh, which you will see at the top of the leaderboards this week, but not from this account, from plenty of other accounts. Uh, okay, so here's an interesting thing on the slate. And, and again, we'll dive into a lot of this on the Angles podcast. So I don't want to spend too much time on this in this forum, but um, it's just such a unique slate where there are... You know, it, one of the questions that I was asking myself last night is which games could shoot out, which games could end up being really interesting games. And maybe none of them will be, right? We always have to account for that possibility as well. But New Orleans, Atlanta, no, probably not. Pittsburgh, Cincinnati actually has some interesting opportunities. That Pittsburgh has allowed the fifth most yards per game in the NFL. Cincinnati has allowed the second most yards per game in the NFL. So yards pile up, right? Uh, Cincinnati's decent in the red zone. Pittsburgh tremendous in the red zone, one of the best red zone scoring defenses. Uh, you also have kind of a bad Pittsburgh offense, which obviously things could change with, with Matt Canada being fired and who knows what the changes will be there. We'll probably talk about that a little bit here with this roster. Um, 
Uh, and then also Jake Browning under center for the Bengals. Jake Browning, who uh, a seven-year-old backup, very little playing time at the NFL level. So, you know, plenty of experience in the NFL, but very little actual playing time in the NFL. So um, probably doesn't, this game probably doesn't take off, but it is one of those ones where it's like, well, you know, if you're Cincinnati, what are you, what are you going to, you still have Jamar Chase, right? So you're just going to shorten his routes. You're going to throw him short passes. Uh, you're going to run the ball with Mixon. You're, you know, Zach Taylor's a good play caller, not really the best play designer. It's kind of one of the shortcomings of the Bengals, not, not a ton of motion, not a ton of creative stuff to get guys open, but he's an excellent play caller in terms of understanding what the defense is expecting and doing something different. And then also creating expectations for the defense throughout the game based on his play sequencing that allows him to then keep the defense off balance as he moves deeper into game. So that will still be, you know, within Zach Taylor's range of, of, of outcomes and his strengths will still play to that this week. So uh, certainly opportunity for the Bengals to get some passes, some short passes to Jamar Chase and scheme him some passes where he's getting the ball, you know, with some space around him and maybe able to make some big plays, potentially able to just march the field against this Pittsburgh bend, but don't break defense. And then if they are able to just sort of break through in the red zone, something that the Bengals haven't been great at this year, something that the Steelers have been great at stopping, but small sample size, one game that could happen. Uh, that is one of the more interesting games on this slate, especially given what this slate provides. Uh, Jacksonville, Houston, could it shoot out? Yes, it could. We'll come back to that. Tampa, Indianapolis, could it shoot out? Yes, it could. We'll come back to that. New England and the Giants, could that shoot out? Almost certainly not. Carolina and Tennessee, could that shoot out? Almost certainly not. The Rams and Arizona, could that shoot out? Similar to the Bengals and Steelers game in that the answer is probably not. But at the same time, the Ram, you know, the Rams, I think it's, what is it, two games this year that they've scored 27 plus points. Uh, I made a note on this earlier, but I don't have it handy right now. Uh, two games, I think this year, they've scored 27 plus points or 30 plus points, something like that. Uh, Arizona's only allowed a couple games like that. And it was against, if I remember correctly, against San Francisco and Dallas. So just tremendous offenses. Uh, and then the Rams don't tend to allow a ton of points. Uh, I think no teams or one team has scored more than 24 points against them this year. Uh, Arizona, obviously, even with Kyler Murray under center, there's still a lot of flaws in this team. They don't tend to score a lot of points, but it is one of those where Kyler Murray, Matthew Stafford, division game, Puka Nakua, uh, Hollywood Brown, I say Puka Nakua because we still don't know about Cooper Cup's health, but potentially Cooper Cup as well. Uh, Kyron Williams coming back for this game. So it is one of those that it could develop into a shootout. Cleveland, Denver, could it develop into a shootout? That Cleveland defense, Dorian Thompson Robinson under center for the Browns. No, probably not. Uh, Kansas City, Las Vegas, can it develop into a shootout? No, probably not. Obviously, Kansas City could end up scoring points, but can that develop into a shootout? No, probably not. And then Buffalo, Philadelphia, yes, absolutely. So what you see is just a very limited, only 10 games on the main slate, and then a very limited range of games that really can shoot out. Uh, I was, you know, my, my dad doesn't play DFS, but he follows football. Uh, you know, we're, we're, I grew up in Massachusetts, so we've been Patriots fans my whole life. And um, so he has context of the NFL around like the occasional island game that he'll watch, the occasional primetime game that he'll watch, uh, Patriots games that he'll watch, and the playoff games that, that he'll watch, right? So I was kind of explaining to him the shape of this weekend's slate through the lens of something he would understand. So I told him, you know, Mac, for, for context, Josh Allen's price on DraftKings this week is 8,200. I believe it's 8,200. Uh, and actually, it's right here in front of me, 8,100. And uh, Mac Jones' price on DraftKings this week is 5,100. And so that I gave him that context to, to give him a sense of like where pricing lands, right? Well, then I told him, you know, this was before it became clear that Derek Carr would be starting. I told him, you know, 13 of the 20 starting quarterbacks on this slate 
are priced at 5,500 and below. So priced in that Mac Jones type range. And so that really gives a sense of the type of weekend it is in that there's just not a lot of opportunities for these really high scoring games to develop. So uh, yeah, the said that we come back to a couple of these games, uh, Jacksonville and Houston really, uh, in fact, we can look at uh, these Houston game logs real quickly. Um, opposing, opposing opponent scores. Uh, I think people are being thrown off by this Tampa, this shootout 39 to 37. Uh, Cincinnati, you know, with, with Joe Burrow, one of the best offenses in the NFL, put up 27 in this matchup. Uh, but here we've got, you know, we look at the opponent too, obviously, Carolina, New Orleans, Atlanta, Pittsburgh. Uh, but we've got 15 points, 13 points, 21 points, 6 points. Uh, Jacksonville, 17 points. Uh, Baltimore, even the Baltimore offense, 25 points. And this was when this Houston team was still rounding in form. So really, Indy, 31 points. Uh, Tampa Bay, 37 points, uh, Cincinnati, 27 points. Like the Houston defense has been, they haven't been good, but they've been solid. They've been really tremendous against the run. They've been decent against the pass. And then you could say, well, yeah, but it's the Jags offense. But really when you look at the Jags offense, you know, 34 points against Tennessee last week, uh, 31 against New Orleans, 37 against Indianapolis. But look at the rest of these games, you know, again, Indianapolis, who they match up really well against. The rest of these games, kind of 23 points and below. Uh, Trevor Lawrence, which I was looking at ownership projections, Friday ownership projections, so a lot can change, but currently the highest projected owned quarterback on the slate. Look at these yardage totals, right? How many games above 300 yards? One. This one against Buffalo. How about this? How many games of multiple touchdown passes? Look at this. Week one, week six, both against Indianapolis, week 11. Against Tennessee, I mean, it was horrible Tennessee pass defense. Uh, so three games all season of multiple touchdown passes. No games all year of three touchdown passes. Uh, last week was the first time all season that I had heavy exposure to Trevor Lawrence and kind of got bailed out because he had these two rushing touchdowns. So people are looking at this, oh, this 32-point score, and they're kind of hunting for what game could develop this week. And this is one of the games where, where it's kind of like, oh, well, this game could shoot out. So I think that probably a little bit too much confidence being placed in Trevor Lawrence this week, not to say that he can't hit, but just to say that the chances uh, that the field is putting too much confidence in him. The chances of him hitting are going to be lower than the ownership is going to imply. So when he goes on the field, he doesn't know that. When the Jags and Texans go on the field, they don't know that, right? The game plays out however it plays out. But just in terms of how we want to approach this, we want to recognize that the percentage chances of that happening are going to be lower than the confidence the field is expressing this week. Uh, I think I, I also said I'd come back to this Tampa and Indianapolis game. So uh, Tampa, we know you can't really run the ball against Tampa. So Indy is kind of one of these teams. Uh, Tennessee is the same way. Most teams, you can really understand when they, when they face an opponent that heavily tilts them one direction or the other, you can really understand where the volume is going to flow. Uh, Indianapolis, Tennessee, these are two teams that even when they play a tough run defense, they still stay pretty run leaning. So I would expect Indianapolis to run the ball less than they normally do, but more than most teams do against Tampa Bay. But uh, we know that Tampa Bay has been hit for some of these big games through the air. Now, granted, all of them have been elite wide receivers, and Indianapolis has only two games all year of a wide receiver going over 100 yards. Pittman's done it once. Downs has done it once. Uh, only four games all year, but I think it was 86 yards of, of a wide receiver going over 86 yards. Pittman's done it twice. Downs has done it twice. So uh, certainly pathways to that game underwhelming relative to expectations. You know, we, we can look at these games against uh, the Buccaneers this year. And you look at these 39 points scored by Houston, and you look at these 27 points scored by San Francisco, and Brock Purdy was popular, and then he hit in that game. But I mean, 
what else, right? Buffalo scored only 24 against them. Detroit scored only 20 against them. Philadelphia scored only 25 against them. So uh, Indianapolis, a team that people don't typically flock toward, that kind of speaks again to the state of the slate. Uh, I'll stop there because there's a lot more along those lines to dig into in the Angles podcast. But uh, yeah, just kind of an interesting spot where a good game, but because of the state of the slate, people are expressing a little more confidence in that game environment than they necessarily would on a different slate or than they necessarily should, given the true underlying context of these pieces. So uh, with that, let's go ahead and build a lineup. Uh, so what I'm going to do Let's see. I'm going to skip over Josh Allen. Uh, I'll talk about Josh Allen uh, in the Angles podcast uh, on my show with Pete Overzet today. I will talk about Josh Allen as well. So let's find a different way to attack this slate. And let's find a way to attack it telling a very unique story. So we always want to look for the opportunities to dramatically separate our roster from the field. And on a slate like this, where we go through all these games and we say, could this game shoot out? Could this game shoot out? And like most of the games are a no. And then the ones that are a yes are kind of like a, yeah, maybe, right? Uh, the one that really stands out as a clear shootout opportunity. And again, I'll save the, that discussion for the Angles podcast, or obviously if you're a subscriber, you've already kind of had a ch chance to dive that in the NFL Edge, which by the way, if you're not a subscriber, the NFL Edge is completely free uh, up until the DS interpretations, which means the full game breakdowns of every game, huge edge for, even if you're just a season long player, uh, if you're watching this, you obviously probably play DFS, but uh, if you're a DFS player, season long player, uh, huge, huge edge in just getting that full game breakdown every week in every game All that is completely free to pay for it. And then again, it's only 49 bucks for the rest of the season with the Black Friday sale expires at the end of the day on Monday. So if you wanna hop in, uh, and actually get kind of everything that we have, you can do that before the end of week 12. Uh, but I will save deeper discussion on that Bills and Eagles game. But one of the interesting things here, right, it could shoot out, but look at the price tags, 800, 800 on Hertz. And so kind of finding one of the quarterbacks in 5,500 and low range certainly does set your roster apart there. You know, if, as long as Josh Allen doesn't go for 40, you're in pretty good shape, right? You, you're probably not getting a 27-pointer from Baker Mayfield, but you also want to ask the question, can he do it? Uh, internet's a little bit slow here. Let me make sure that this is still at least recording. It's okay. Uh, <laughs> um, eh, there we go. Baking up. Um, so, you know, we, we look through this. Uh, how many games over 300 yards? Just the one. Uh, how many multiple touchdown passes, five games with multiple touchdown passes, one game with three touchdown passes. So you kind of, though, like, okay, only over 300 yards, but you also have this 275, this game of 278. You recognize there are opportunities for Bayer to ascend above that level. You also know Indianapolis can be favorable to backs can kind of allow them to go above that level. Really interesting note on the, in fact, let me find the full note uh, in my DFS rotation on, on my, so, um, five different catchers topped 100 yards against the Colts. Okay. Here's the list. Calvin Reed, eight catches for 101. Eco Collins, seven for 146. Puka Nakua, nine for 163. DeAndre Hopkins, eight for 40. Rashid Shaheed, three for 153. So these, there's, Certain times where players just have these monster games against this Indianapolis defense, uh, like Evans, 
Morris has games this year, six for 171 and six for 143. This is one of those spots where you know, Mike Evans, finally really rushed Evans twice this year, and it just it happened to line up with those two times that he hit for those big games. I say happened a lot because, yes, research pointed toward him in those games. We also want to be nuanced in our thinking and recognize that just because the research points towards something doesn't mean it's going to hit. What we're saying is it's more likely than normal to hit. It's plus EV to play the player in that spot, which means if we could play out that slate 100 times, he wouldn't hit all 100 times, but you would make money over time playing that play. And that's how we always want to structure our thinking when we're attacking DFS. So uh, Mike Evans, this is one of those weeks where he really has that opportunity to have another one of these these big games. And so you can kind of think in terms of like Baker plus Mike Evans, Baker plus Mike Evans plus Rashad White, who Rashad White, even in these games where uh, Mike Evans, in fact, let's go ahead and put uh, Baker on here. Let's go ahead and put Rashad White on here. Uh, and let's go ahead and put Mike Evans on here. Uh, and I actually haven't looked at this specifically, but I would guess so uh, week two against Chicago and week 10 against Tennessee were the weeks where Mike Evans hit Rashad White. Uh, against Chicago, still put up 21.3. And against Tennessee, he still put up 17.8. So kind of as expected, Mike Evans hitting doesn't take away from Rashad White's ability to hit. And really, Rashad White's going to have that high floor from receptions and from carries week in and week out. He's one of the few, like, not every down backs, but like almost every down backs, right? He's one of the few true alphas that the only time he's on the sideline is when he's getting a breather, not because they're just rotating through other backs. Uh, so Rashad White, Really, when somebody like Mike Evans is hitting, it just raises the opportunity for Rashad White to hit because it means more big plays, more opportunities for the Bucks to be close to the goal line, more opportunities for Rashad White to score and elevate his DraftKings potential as well. So uh, a lot of times people will look at this and be like, oh, I'm playing Mike Evans, so I don't play Rashad White. We always want to dig down to that second layer. And even if we saw in here like a 15-pointer and a 17-pointer for Rashad White, we would want to recognize that how this, how these plays sort of come together. They really do work well in tandem. And so you get this full stack where, again, looking at these scores, uh, the weeks when Mike Evans hit actually hasn't correlated super heavily with Baker, like having his bigger games, but uh, 21 points, 19 points. And so you kind of put all that together and you're looking at potential for 30 from Evans, 20 from Mayfield, 20 from Rashad White. And all of a sudden that's, that's 70 points from these three guys. They've done it twice this year, gotten in that 70 point range. Uh, and especially on a slate like this, you can get 70 points from a three-player pairing regardless of price. That's going to be end up being really valuable on a slate like this. Uh, and then you look at the price on it. Well, that's right in line with what you would need to keep you on a 200-point pace. So uh, that's going to be the starting point on this roster. The next question we want to ask is, do we want to have a bring back on this roster? So if the Buccaneers are putting up the type of game where Mike Evans is hitting, where Baker Mayfield's hitting, where Rashad White's hitting, do we need a bring back? We don't need a bring back. In fact, look at this, the this week 10 example, their opponent only scored six points. Uh, this week two example, their opponent scored 17 points. So neither of those were spots where it was like, oh, you had to have the bring back in that game in order to complete the bet. So that's the first tip. We want to ask, do you need the bring back like in a macro sense for this team to hit? The answer is no, right? Because you're not necessarily saying, oh, the Bucs have a, like a, a 40 point game here. This is not a team that spreads the ball out to five, six different guys. This is a team that really runs through three guys and that's it. Kate Otten gets some spillover targets. Trey Palmer gets some spillover targets, but everything is designed to run through Chris Godwin, Mike Evans, and Rashad White. So you're not necessarily saying this is a shootout. You're just saying the Bucs play their normal game and are successful in this one. They actually have a good game on offense in this one. Uh, then the second question is, 
do we want a bring back? So do we want to bring back on this one? Well, it, this is not going to be a totally uncommon stack this week. Let's say Baker Mayfield, maybe about 8% owned. And uh, a lot of those Baker rosters will have Mike Evans. How many of those will also have Rashad White? Maybe a third of them. So you could say, you know, maybe two and a half to 3% of tournament rosters might have these three players. Most of those will have a bring back. So one way to separate is to not have the bring back. At the same time, we know that this is a spot where teams can pass against this defense. And if the Bucs are putting up 27 points in this spot, three touchdowns, a couple of field goals, moving the ball well, uh, you're probably going to see Indianapolis opening things up through the air a little bit more. Uh, also, there's some leverage here in that right now, Jonathan Taylor, not totally sure why against this Buccaneers run defense. Uh, people have gotten burned by Joshua Kelly earlier in the year against this run defense. They gotten burned by, uh, there was like three straight weeks where everybody was rostering uh, a chalk cheap running back against this Buccaneers defense and just got totally burned by that. They're coming back to the well this week with Jonathan Taylor. That's what ownership projections are currently showing. Uh, Jonathan Taylor projected to be the highest owned running back on the slate. I would guess that's a function of what projection systems and optimizers are spitting out. Um, Levante David is going to be out for the Bucs and that helps the matchup for Jonathan Taylor. Uh, Vita Vea is still playing for the Bucs. So um, still not a great spot for Jonathan Taylor. Not to say he can't hit, but just to say the chances aren't as high as, as the confidence that ownership is putting in that. So uh, taking a pass catcher from the Colts does get some leverage off Jonathan Taylor. In fact, this whole stack gets some leverage off Jonathan Taylor because if Baker plus Rashad White plus Mike Evans is hitting, that's probably a game environment where Jonathan Taylor has to get the ball a little bit less and the Colts are having to pass the ball a little bit more. So this is a nice way to Again, we're always thinking about how we clear out our path to a first place finish. So if 30% of rosters, even if it's even if those ownership projections don't hold and it's down at like 25%, 22% of rosters have Jonathan Taylor, well, we are hurting 22% of rosters with this stack right here, right? So that clears out our path to first place where it's 20, 25, 30% of rosters that now have a harder time getting to first place. And we are ahead of them because we have hurt those rosters as we've moved ahead. So uh, one of the cool things about a stack like this is you get that nice leverage built in as well. So uh, bring back, you could go Pittman, you could go Downs. Pittman, obviously overpriced for his ceiling. In fact, uh, let's go ahead and pull this up just so we can take a look at what he's done this year. Uh, 22.9, that's his his highest. Oh, sorry, 23.7. So 23.7, 22.9, uh, both against Jacksonville, uh, his two highest scoring games of the year. Uh, similar to old school Keenan Allen, pre-2023 Keenan Allen, in that Michael Pittman always draws ownership because you look through his game logs and it's like, ooh, double digits, double digits, double digits across the board, right? The targets are always there. He's always scoring double digit points. And so it just feels really comfortable to play him. Does he help you in a tournament? Almost never, right? But that doesn't mean he can't in this spot. Uh, that said, he and in fact, Michael Pittman averaging 15.7 DraftKings points per game. Josh Downs is averaging fewer, 11 DraftKings points per game. But we also have early in the season where he had this short area role. Anthony Richardson was under center. Uh, and we see, you know, seven targets, five targets, three targets, this 12 target game thrown in here, uh, six points, seven points, five points, 13 points. Since then, looks very similar to, or, or there was this stretch, I should say, during which he looked very similar to Michael Pittman has kind of dropped these last couple of games with two points and six points, but those are against, uh, th these are matchups that are very unfavorable to wide receivers, New England and Carolina. Uh, even against Cleveland, a very unfavorable matchup. He hit 26.5 DraftKings points. New Orleans, a very unfavorable matchup to wide receivers, 14.2 DraftKings points, 13.1 uh, against Jacksonville, 15.7 against Tennessee. So uh, I'm actually going to lean toward Josh Downs on this roster. If I build a bunch of Baker stacks this week, 
I will have plenty of Pittman as well. Uh, I'll have some Minshew snacks this week. I'll have some Baker snacks this week. Uh, Josh Allen's going to be kind of my central thesis on the week, but uh, I'm going to have some snacks of these other guys as well. And so we will use Josh Downs as the bring back on this particular roster. Uh, another game, let's go over to another game in the same division where people are kind of recency biased against these two players, but everything points toward these two players. And that is Derek Henry on the Titans side and Adam Thielen on the Panthers side. So uh, interesting on this, you know, at wide receiver, if you are, you know, AJ Brown, not the worst matchup in the world against Buffalo with kind of some injuries and a potential shootout in this game, but his chance of going for 30 plus are lower than normal. Uh, Stefan Diggs getting really low ownership. I'm not sure why, but if I'm not playing Josh Allen, I'm not playing Stefan Diggs because if, if Diggs is hitting the Josh Allen is hitting. Uh, so on this roster, we're not playing Stefan Diggs. Jamar Chase, his price hasn't dropped and he's dealing with Jake Browning. Uh, Cooper Cup dealing with the injury. Devontae Adams, his price hasn't dropped. He's playing Kansas City. He has Aiden O'Connell under center. Uh, Puka Nakua, we could end up with Cup playing. And then you've got this sort of thing where it's like, does either guy hit to justify their price tag? Uh, Devontae Smith still kind of, DraftKings has stuck, has pinned his price where it is and has refused to lower it even, lower it, even though he doesn't really justify this price tag uh, this season. So once you get kind of past those guys, it's like, well, who is there up here that that's going to score 30 plus points? There could be a couple of these guys who do it, but Adam Thielen's done it three times this year and everyone's kind of just moved off of that at this point. And yet Tennessee has been consistently one of the best teams to attack through the air, one of the best teams for us to attack as DFS players. So really interesting play where everybody's kind of just moved on from this play. It's burned them enough times. Uh, I've been off this play the last few weeks when he's been higher owned and he's been burning people in these, in these bad matchups against uh, Chicago, who again, they gave up 77 yards to Amon Ross St. Brown last week. That was their first time since week two that they'd given up more than 65 yards to a wide receiver. Just not a good matchup for wide receivers, given how they play their defense. Just structurally, uh, Matt Eberflus's Tampa 2 defense filters everything away from wide receivers. Uh, Dallas, brutal matchup for wide receivers. Uh, so people have been on Adam Thielen in these spots. He's burned them, and now they're moving off them. His price still hasn't dropped. He's playing Tennessee. So uh, nice spot to get back on Adam Thielen. And then same thing with Derrick Henry, where – uh, 22 to 25 carries in every win this year, uh, averaging 12.7 carries per game in Tennessee losses. Interestingly, this is only the fourth home game for Tennessee this year. They played a game overseas, and then they played six road games. I believe their overseas game counted as a home game, but uh, they're only they're, they've only played three. They're three and zero in Nashville this year. They've only played three games in Nashville, and we're in week 12. So uh, five of their next seven games are at home. This is one of those games playing against. It's really bad Carolina Panthers run defense that we relentlessly attack. And he's coming off this game against Tampa Bay and Jacksonville, two of the best run defenses in football, really bad scores. And we know that, you know, if the Titans get behind, they have to go the other direction. They can't keep Derrick Henry on the field. And so uh, bad game environments, bad matchups. He's got these two low scores. But before that, 19, 19, 19, uh, game against Indy, nine, 27 uh, game against Cleveland where they were lost three to 27 two, and then 18, 14, right? So we're talking about take this game environment, take this matchup. And this is probably one of those games where Henry ends up in this 20 to 25 point range. And he always has potential to go above that. So uh, Derek Henry, another really interesting play here. So uh, this gives us a nice setup where we don't have one of the expensive stacks, uh, but we have some really sharp plays kind of built across this roster. And we still have a little bit of salary to work with. So defense, won't spend a lot of time on this, but 
Uh, Kansas City and the Broncos are kind of the two defenses that stand out the most on paper. A lot of attention on the Patriots defense as well this week. They're sort of in a tier below those two, but they're still you know one of the sharper defenses to play. So kind of this price range at defense. So in terms of strategy, one thing we could think of then is, well, if the Chiefs, Patriots and Broncos are the three best on paper defenses, the three most popular defenses, then one thing you can do is just get to a defense that's in a totally different price range. It materially changes. It will materially change our last two choices on this roster uh, because, you know, we spend an extra 600 or, or 600 fewer than everybody else is spending. Then that kind of changes what we have to work with on the rest of this roster. And we have a different defense than everybody else has. So uh, if we can find a defense where you're like, oh, this, this defense really could score 15 to 20 points, uh, that is a viable way to go. So the Steelers up here, the Browns up here, uh, a couple just, you know, betting on really good defenses. Uh, the Steelers obviously playing against Jake Browning. Uh, or you could go, go down to the bottom where maybe you go, you know, get additional leverage. In fact, let's go ahead and have fun with this roster and, and get some additional leverage where everybody's betting on Trevor Lawrence, everybody's betting on this game environment. But we know that the Texans defense is capable of putting up good DraftKings scores, you know, zero against Tampa Bay in the shootout that we were looking at, but eight, eight, seven, 10, a four, and then 12, 13, negative one, and an eight. So you kind of take out these outlier games and it's consistently seven, eight, 10, 12 points, 2,600. We change our salary structure. We gain further leverage off of Trevor Lawrence. So, um, Oftentimes we want to think less about predicting what we think will happen and more about what makes us the most money when it does happen. So in terms of what makes us the most money when it does happen, well, now we've been on this stack that really is, if it hits, it's hurting 30% of rosters that are rostering Jonathan Taylor. Uh, if this defense special teams play hits, it's hurting 15 plus percent of rosters that are rostering Trevor Lawrence. And so uh, we make more money when these hits hit than just the raw points that we would get from them. So uh, they're more powerful than just the raw points. We always want to think about stuff like that when we're playing DFS, never just picking players, but thinking about how these players fit on a weekend, how these players fit in increasing our paths to a first place finish. And then also, you know, as an added bonus, it changes our salary structure here. And we're able to uh, have this, you know, different, different salary to work with throughout the rest of this roster, because a lot of people will be in this cheap quarterback range this week. Uh, not a lot of interest in Mahomes, not a ton of interest in Jalen Hurts, not a lot of interest in Josh Allen because the game total, the implied team total is low for the Bills in this spot. So ownership uh, or uh, optimizers and projection systems aren't really spitting him out as much. And so um, we're kind of in the same, even though we have a different roster than other people might have, and we have some nice leverage, we're still in the same salary range to what a lot of people are going to be on, right? A lot of people aren't going to be paying up for Alvin Kamara, Saquon Barkley, uh, so then we get, well, Saquon even is kind of closer to this, this pricing range. Um, so we'll have a lot of people pay, paying in this 6K range for running backs. We'll have a lot of people paying in this 5K range for quarterbacks. Uh, and then, you know, we have Adam Thielen, which is different from what other people will be doing, but other people will have, you know, maybe not Jamar Chase, maybe not Stefan Diggs, but, you know, Puka Nakua or Tank Dell, these other guys kind of priced in the same price range. So uh, giving ourselves an opportunity to do something different here is a nice way to go. Now, another way that we could then double up our power here and we'll see if this works salary wise is we can recognize that tank Dell will probably be popular and then we can add him to this roster basically saying okay yeah we have adam thielen but most people won't have tank Dell. most people won't have tank Dell paired with the texans kind of just gives us like a, a really unique way to play tank Dell. and then if we don't have a tight end that we like all the way down here at 3k and below uh, here's one right here that we'll talk about in a moment. Uh, but if we don't like that, then we could take off Tank Dell and we could go to Nico Collins, which gives us 
further leverage. Uh, interestingly, there you know, the Texans played Baltimore in week one. Then they had kind of that down stretch in weeks, I think it was five, six, and eight with a bye in week seven. Uh, take out those games, right? So it's six other games that they've played. In all of the games, they've had a wide receiver go for 100 yards. And in five of those games, that guy who went for 100 yards also caught a touchdown pass. That might not mean a lot to you out of context. In context, that is like way better than the other team in the NFL this year. In fact, I was going through, let me see if I can find this in my notes on my phone. Uh, I was going through some numbers this week of number of times this year that a team, that an offense has produced 27.2 or more draftings points, an arbitrary number. Um, I have my own reasons for choosing that number, but uh, number of times that an offense has produced 27.2 or more <clears throat> DraftKings points. Some examples, Kansas City has done it twice all season. Uh, the Browns have done it three times all season. The Titans have done it two times, not, not surprising. The Colts, one time. The Giants, two times. The Jags, only three times all season. Even the Bengals, only four times all season. Now we're getting out of, it sounds like only, right? But that kind of gives you a sense of how often teams really produce 27.2 plus DraftKings points. Uh, <clears throat> the Rams, five times, because we had a, the early season time when Cook was out. It was such a concentrated offense. Puka was doing it. Kyron Williams was doing it. Uh, Eagles, five times all season with healthy team, great offense. Uh, A.J. Brown's done it three times. Swift has done it once. Goddard's done it once. Bills, only three times. All three times were Stephon Diggs. The Texans, eight times this year that they've had a player score 27.2 or more DraftKings points. Tank Dell's done it three times. Nico Collins has done it twice. Dalton Schultz has done it once. Noah Brown's done it twice. So you can say, as you know, as long as the Texans have a good game here, one of these two guys, uh, Neil Collins or Tank Dell, is probably going to go for 27.2 or more DraftKings points. As we also saw looking through this list, that's pretty rare to get 27.2 or more DraftKings points. And then as we also know, you really need to get as many of those as possible on a roster in order to win a tournament. So right here, we're betting on this being a week where Derrick Henry does it. We're betting on this being a week where Mike Evans does it. We're betting on this being a week where Adam Thielen does it. So if we can add the right Texans piece around this, then we're in great shape. So. Uh, Gives us an opportunity to decide between do we want to do uh, Nick Collins and say Kate Otten, which would give us this mega stack on the Bucks side. Uh, Kate Otten, who again, very touchdown dependent, only three points against Tennessee, but 10 points against Chicago. So he's certainly capable of adding a nice game alongside and Rashad White. Uh, or do we want to go with Pat Fryermuth, who, you know, this the game logs look disgusting, but you know, he's only played, what is this, five games on the year. He has these games with four degrees. But you go back to last year, he was consistently scoring 10-plus draft games per game with the same quarterback with the cast around him. So uh, a Cincinnati team that's really bad against tight ends or, or really attackable with tight ends, this is a really interesting play as well. So I'm actually going to throw in Pat Fryermuth here. Uh, we can go or we can go Tank Dell. And Tank Dell, we can basically bet on Tank Dell being the First player in the NFL this season to, well, he and Thielen would both be the first players in the NFL this season to hit a fourth game of 27.2 or more DraftKings points. I believe I have that right. I think that Christian McCaffrey actually only has three such games as well. Uh, I believe Austin Eckler has zero such games this year. Could be wrong. On that, but yeah, uh, so we're, we're basically saying like, okay, Dell and Thielen kind of are leading the charge in, in fantasy scoring this year. And maybe that doesn't happen, but they don't know that that's the case, right? In the context of them going out on the field and playing the game, uh, they're just trying to have their best game and they could easily do that. They're in spots where they could do that this week. So it uh, gives us a really, it, it 
we have a salary structure from a starting point, which we always want to think about. So then it allows us to say, okay, we have a unique salary salary structure from starting point. So how do we get different? How do we increase our paths to first place? We've got some nice leverage built into this roster and we have some nice pairing, right? Like, yes, Tank Dell will be popular, but Tank Dell plus Athelon won't. So if they both score three plus, well, now we're in a really nice position because the 3% of Adam Thielen rosters, 4% of Adam Thielen rosters probably won't have Tank Dell paired with. Them. Um, and so it kind of gives us an opportunity where we can look at it and say, yeah, we really clearly have a path to a first place finish. Uh, so with that, we're going to stop sharing this screen uh, and we are going to wrap up this podcast. Um, Another thing on my end, check out the Black Friday deals on one week's season if you're not a member. If you've been watching shows, if you feel like you've been learning things, uh, you might notice that you see the OWS pennant at the top of the leaderboard all the time. Uh, OWS took down Slant last week for the second time season. Uh, Additionally, see three pennants up in the top 10 in the set week in and week out out of what is it, out of 20,000 entries in that one. Um, yeah, and a lot of those members are a lot of those pets that you see at the top of the boards are circle members where they get the kind of the week training. Uh, today, since it was me flying solo, Keegan, it was more, I guess, training focused in the way that we talk about today roster. So, if this is what the, the resonates with you, might be lacking in your game, uh, you can kind of keep learning stuff week in and week out through the circle membership where you still get kind of, hey, here's the best player on the slate. and Here's all the projections and here are projections and um, player pools, right? But on top of that, you get all the strategy stuff as well, which is really, you know, the the player pools and the best play on the slate type stuff is the open door because that's what people think that they want in order to win in DFS. But then, um, you know, we kind of use the open door to say, hey, here's the stuff that you guys want, but then also here's what you need, which is all the strategy and training stuff. And uh, again, that's why you see the inner circle members pepper tops the leaderboards week in and week out because they've been consuming that content uh, for a year, two years, three years, whatever. So, uh, yeah, with that, thanks for hanging out. Uh, happy belated Thanksgiving. You didn't set a Wednesday podcast. And I will see you hopefully on the Angles podcast. I'll see you on OWS. And I'll see you at the top of the leaderboards on Sunday. Mm -hmm.